Did you bring the money? Here's what I'm prepared to offer. You give me the money, the girl is safe. Forever. Nobody knows about her. She's off the map. I can't offer you the same. So this is what I would suggest. We conclude our deal. We'll shake hands. You start the rest of your life. Any dreams you have or plans or hopes for your future, I think you're going to have to put that on hold. For the rest of your life, you're going to be looking over your shoulder. I'm just telling you this because I want you to know the truth. But the girl is safe. Another day, happy people pass my way. Looking in their eyes, I see a memory I never realized. How happy you made me, oh man! When you came and you gave, well, I'll take it, but I sent you. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. I'm your host, James Kent, and with me is my guest, the bad boy from the boroughs, bad boy Billy Muir, Bill from Queens. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for uh, making time to fit me in. I really appreciate <laughs> that. That's time great. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Well, in. you know, I, I mean, you've had me on the show and obviously I, I seem to have uh, fallen flat because you've, you know, found a couple of other people to kind of, you know, I've, I've missed, I've missed. Uh, <laughs> fallen flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it, uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you um, saw it in your heart to invite me back. That's really. You're a, you're a space filler, Billy. Well, I got to say, and, and you're a man. You're mensch. a pinch hitter. You, you are nothing but a man. Exactly. 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 It's sort of like Live Aid, you know, and uh, I forget who drops out, but they they brought in uh, George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers. That's what well, you do. I mean, the like problem that. is, is that, you know, sometimes with the guests, so I, I'll throw this out, you know, I've been trying to stockpile some episodes because, you know, without Teal and knowing, hey, what are we going to tape this week and coming up with an idea, he's not around and I really don't know when he's going to come back, though he's told me that he's coming back. Um, so we eagerly await that however um because i just don't know and i feel that it it's important to have a show come out once a week if i can uh i've started to stockpile some episodes so even as we tape this there's an episode that we have in the can of you um that hasn't aired yet uh, mm-hmm. then we had the last episode that aired at the time of this taping we had jess lambert uh every disney movie ever and that was you know real fun 
Um, and I got some other guests that are kind of in the queue uh, waiting to go. So I'm, I'm excited to do some different things, I guess. Yeah. Well, like I said, Jimmy, I'm just going to be sitting here by the phone, you know, here in Queens, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. you know, with all my kids running around and stuff, you know. Yeah, you have all these kids, right? <laughs> yes. But, 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 but here's the thing, right? Uh, also, you know, this Jess Lambert comes on the show. And what's kind of cool is uh, guests can bring in a new audience to the show. Mm -hmm. And certainly that episode definitely had some additional hits. Uh, so I know that some fans of Jess's were checking out the show. Uh, where where are the, the, the Billy Muir fans? I, I don't know. Those, those are not getting the extra hits because you are a Luddite who has no social media presence. You don't let your kids go, hey, kids, I'm on a podcast. No. Tell your friends. No, no. I, I, I you think yeah, so that's why you are a pinch hitter. <laughs> I, I think I think there was one guy at the end of the block. I told. Yeah. <laughs> so um, hey, uh, thanks for having me. Like I said, and I'm, I'm all set to talk about uh, today's topic. So okay, well, to go. okay. So uh, here I'm going to take us back in history. About a year ago, I watched a limited Amazon Prime series uh, and partly was because i was looking for new topics to talk about on the show mm -hmm. and i watched something that i thought that teal and i could sink our teeth into because we had seen a you know few of this director's uh, films and these are films that we liked and wanted to talk about and would be a great to kind of package it up so I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for Teal to watch the series, which he never did. Um, so I thought, since you've been on the uh, episodes, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know what? I think that Bill may, may appreciate this series. It's not something I can recommend to a lot of people because it's kind of a hard watch, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, though it can be rewarding in pockets or if you like a certain type of uh, paste show. Um, so today's topic is all about the hashtag NWR. Yes. What does that mean to the film aficionados? <laughs> what does hashtag NWR mean, Bill? So Nicholas Winding, he's winding us up. Uh, Nicholas Winding, Ruffin, Ruffin. Isn't it Rafin? Rafe, I don't know. I, guess. I think it's I think it's Nicholas Winding Raven. I've never heard the name like well, uh, it's, da it's Danish. He's from Denmark. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's uh, he'll be fifty in September. So oh he's wow, about my age. Okay, um, but certainly, obviously, done more things than I have. <laughs> uh, he's got interesting eyewear. Too. He's a Dutch treat. That guy. <laughs> Did you ever see that documentary that was made about him? The one Maybe his, his wife, wife made, made it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's kind of great. I, um, I didn't see it. It's just, I've, you know, you kind of pulled me into this uh, world. neon lit rabbit hole with, uh, you know, techno music and uh, cannibalism and torture. So yeah, break you. out your electronic <laughs> Cliff Martinez music, people, and get your neon going. I, I, I got to say, absolutely. And the thing is, I'm glad you mentioned Cliff Martinez. I. Did I really, you know, like I said, I, I um, didn't know how much I really liked Cliff Martinez's stuff because um, I really, I went and looked up uh, his other work and he had done the Limey. He had done a lot of stuff for- um, Oh, Soderbergh. Soderbergh, yeah. And yeah. so I really, really, like the, the people who he has working for him are terrific. And uh, uh, honestly, I'm, I know we we're just goofing on him just now a little bit. Honestly, I, I really do appreciate his work. 
Well, I mean, look, I think to be not just even a director, he's kind of what, you know, the kind of the auteur, right? He yep. sort of subscribes to the auteur theory. And you got to have an ego to make it, right, as a director. Or to put a hashtag before your initials. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you put hashtag NWR, I mean, you got to you gotta almost applause the obnoxiousness right there. And I say that because at the start of every episode of this limited series that he did for uh, Amazon Prime, which was uh, Too Old to Die Young, you get the flashing NER uh, hashtag NWR. That's right. That's right. So, you know, we're going to tackle this guy and his filmography, maybe not so much in the first half, because I'll have to admit that I have not seen really his film work before drive which i think is that sort of that line in the sand there's pre-drive and then there's post-drive yeah. um, drive is kind of the movie that he was working up towards yeah. uh, so you know he's got a, a bunch of films uh, i've heard they're really good i have not seen the pusher trilogy which is this no nor have i nor have I. Um, I you can see it though on uh tubi Tubi. That's I've been watching a lot of his stuff on Tubi. Um, with like I saw um, Bronson on that. I haven't seen Valhalla Rising. Yeah, well, you can't find that right now anyway for free. Right. I always swore that I saw Valhalla Rising, and then I always have to look it up and realize that it's Centurion that I've seen. I always get Centurion and Valhalla Rising uh, mixed up, but uh, Centurion, of course, has. Um, the what's his face in it there the guy he just always looks like uh that he smells of cigarettes and aftershave you're talking um, about you're talking about the guy who's also in valhalla rising no mads. no no that's that's mads mickelson but he reminds me uh yeah the fastbender uh michael fastbender right yeah right. he's in centurion mads mickelson is in valhalla rising and uh, they're not exactly the same story but there's some similarities in the plot so uh, i always get those two confused so i've not seen valhalla rising though it does look cool and i do want to see it the thing that i really like about his style once he really kind of comes into himself and i think that's after drive he seems to me hashed nwr seems to me <laughs> like um a, a kind of art artistically a genetic splice between um i'll put this michael mann and ken russell that's very interesting <laughs> um because i definitely see the michael mann comparison and then when you take a look at say the neon demon mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, too old to die young. Mm -hmm. You can definitely <laughs> see, see Ken Russell. <laughs> I like that. I, not everybody gets compared to Ken Russell. You know, always uh, people are always comparing this person to that director or that director, but very rarely do you well, get a Ken but, Russell. But I, but I mean, in the sense that like Ken Russell knew how to shock. He had a kind of understanding of of aesthetics and style. And um, it's that combination of shock, of a kind of very deliberate and self-conscious aesthetic. And, um, and also the fact that Ken Russell doesn't take himself too seriously. And I don't think NWR takes himself too seriously either. Except for when he's taking himself too seriously, too seriously. which I think okay. he does with Only God Forgives. <laughs> I think he thought he was making himself a masterpiece, which is uh, you can tell by watching that documentary that his wife did, where he is so crushed when he's at Cannes and the film bombs so hard. Right. Because I think after Drive, 
he was sort of put on a pedestal of, oh, this guy's the next great filmmaking genius. Absolutely. And the thing is, like, just to give you a sense, I had kind of checked out, as you can tell, like there was a period where I sort of uh, had children kind of checked out of even watching like grown up movies. If it didn't have like, <laughs> you know, a, a dancing animal in it or something, I probably didn't see it. And um, but that was on my radar. And it's, you know, and so absolutely. I, and so you're saying in the documentary that he just was crushed. You know, all right. So the first film I see of his, of NWR, <laughs> Sunday, 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 come to get your NWR. <laughs> yeah. He should have you at the start of his movies now. <laughs> <laughs> and. W R <laughs> Nicholas Winding Rayford. Yeah. <laughs> so when Drive first wins Best Director at Cannes, it's on my radar screen. Right. Then I see the preview for it, the trailer. And I'm like, oh, I, how am I going to, I got to see this movie. And my wife also wanted to see this film. Yep. However, we were in the same zone as you Right. Were. In 2011, uh, my wife was pregnant with my second child, and our oldest, he was only like uh, three mm -hmm. when Drive came out. However, it was interesting. I was living in Arizona at the time, and there was a theater about, I don't know, 15 miles down the road, which in Arizona is around the corner. <laughs> no was this, lie. Was this um, the sheriff when you were like locked up by Sheriff Joe Arpaio? Yeah. Well, Joe Arpaio <laughs> was the sheriff of uh, uh, Maricopa County at the time, uh, which was this guy. I don't think people understand that guy is so old. Uh, he actually wasn't, uh, his vision's bad. He wasn't allowed to have a license to drive. And this guy was a sheriff. I mean, yeah. And, and, and he was a criminal. And uh, the idea that he was pardoned is horrible. But anyways, so there was a theater about 15 miles down the road. And it was a nice multiplex. And it was actually a local Arizona chain called Harkins. They're still yeah. around, I guess. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic, but they were amazing. They just had a an, a great philosophy that, you know, projection and movies and experience comes first. And I loved, 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 loved the Harkins cinema. It was like my favorite part of being in Arizona um, because they had like one theater that was devoted to art films. And every year they had the Harkins Cup and one of their like, uh, you know, people in their office who was a designer would design these awesome movie cups that would have all sorts of characters from various films all over it. And every year you couldn't wait to get the Harkins Cup. You bought the Harkins Cup of, of soda. So it's like, right. you know, your five bucks or whatever. Then for the rest of that year, you could take that cup with you to the movie theater and you could for one dollar you buy a soda and it's like a soda pass. You can have as much as you want for the whole time. That, that was great. I mean, it was just one of those things that just made you go, this place is awesome. Yeah, I know. but And, and yet they're still ripping you off. That's great. Well, I mean, you know, I, well, dollars. Yeah, but dollar soda, you get enough. Dollar, I mean, you dollar know. soda at a movie is like, and that's how messed up that like we're saying like, wow, what a deal. Well, I mean, if you go out and buy a 20 ounce soda, it's a couple of dollars, right? It's, it's so, huge, yeah. It, so, I mean, it was just, that's a great, it was a, it was a great little uh, perk. But there's one theater of theirs offered if your kid was three years old they offered a babysitting service oh, so wow. for the um for the time you were in the theater klaus kinski would watch the kids <laughs> no 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 they had this nice thing in the play area they had multiple kids tons of camera i mean everything was very 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 well well orchestrated and it was like 350 and you 
brought your kid in there. They gave you a pager in case you had to come back out. And <laughs> they gave the kids free popcorn and they had like little, you know, kids movies playing, you know, on TV screens there. And, you know, it's just for two hours, but it allowed parents to go and see a movie together. <laughs> it was amazing. You know, it was great. Well, I mean, well, her parents, they don't live there anymore, but they lived in Arizona. And a lot of times they would watch our son even have sleepovers and we'd get to go to the movies and stuff. So it was pretty good. A lot of, a lot of parents don't even have that. Uh, but this was just nice. Okay. So <laughs> I just wanted to see a movie poster of a remake of Three Men and a Baby, but with Instead of uh, Tom Selleck and Steve Gutenberg and Ted Danson have um, Klaus Kinski, Udo Kier, and uh, Christopher Walken. <laughs> Udo Kier. That is pretty funny. Udo Kier. So. <laughs> and Christopher Walken. <laughs> Three I'm green lighting that, except that uh, one of them is dead. Yeah, the other sorry. two are still around. <laughs> so, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Three old scary men and a baby. Yeah, they, they cook the baby at the end. NWR could make it. And now and now I've lost <laughs> listeners. Thanks, Hot Bell. They're actually remaking Three Men and a Baby. Of course. Uh, they are. That just got re they got announced. And it's um are you talking about uh, Zach uh That's it, Efron? Zach Efron. Yeah. He's gonna be in the Three Men and a Baby. Um <laughs> Hey, so anyways, we're gonna go back to the drive. So yes, yeah, uh, yeah. my wife and I go and see this drive, and man, it was everything that I enjoy about a movie, right? Had a lot of confidence that it didn't have to be dialogue driven. Uh, it gave Ryan Gosling, who at the time I really was not on the Gosling no, train. No, me neither. Me neither. But you know what? You you get a movie like Drive and I'm on the Gosling train. I, yeah. I just loved his, everything about his character, that his, his quietness, but then his danger. Mm-hmm. It's got a great cast. Uh, you know, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Oscar Isaac, yeah. uh, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman. But for me, the standout, and it's funny, is one of, one of the last episodes uh, – you and I, we talked about this film Thief and, of course, in a Michael right. Mann connection, right? Where right. Robert Prosky plays this sort of grandfatherly uh, mafia kingpin mm-hmm. and he comes off seemingly so uh, not dangerous. Yeah. Well, I think he's only matched by Albert a performance. Brooks. Albert Brooks, who's always comic, even when he's trying to be more dramatic, it's hard to kind of look at him any other way. But see, that's where the strength in this performance is. You have an expectation that Albert Brooks could only be a good guy. Right. And he is one of the scariest villains that the screen has come up with in the last 10 years. Yes. And I loved this performance so much and the fact that he wasn't nominated for an Oscar because I didn't even think he should be not. I thought he was going to be the winner that year. Yeah. I thought hands down this guy gave the best supporting performance and the Academy didn't give him a nomination and it'll always bother me. Yeah, no, he was he was absolutely incredible in it. And it's it's a great great movie. I watched it again in preparation for this um, and my wife hadn't seen it and she was really into it. It's um, really terrific. okay. Yeah, so yeah, she yeah, didn't yeah. see it originally. Yeah. Nope, nope. It's funny because that, you know, Nicholas oh, whining Rifen, Rafen, Rufin, Rufin, he, I would say that he feels very like that he makes maybe more of a male centric films, a little macho machismo, but there is something about drive that appeals to women audiences. 
Yes. Oh, maybe it's Gosling. It's Gosling. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I think I think my wife definitely um, found Gosling appealing in that movie. Right. And uh, you know, and and also just the relationship with Carey Mulligan, where he doesn't, you know, it, it really is um, kind of old time Hollywood cliche. His kind of innocent kind of, you know, he's sort of a white knight, you know, or a knight errant, you know, kind of. Um, yeah. Team. Oh, it, it, it ticks off every noir box, yep. except for it's in, ne- I mean, when we talk about neon noir, which is that uh, category that Teal and I created, right. though we didn't create because there, people do call neon, but that, this movie is the quintessential neon. Yes. Noir, and and which, it really is a kind of, I think in terms of stylistically, it really does call back to Thief. Um, in terms of the, the way the thief uses the electronic score from Tangerine Dream. Uh, you know, this has Cliff Martinez's score is really fantastic. And the cinematography, even down to, I forget what the name of the, um, the font is, but it's a <laughs> French, like, it's a French font that you see written on a lot of you know storefronts and that's and it was very popular in the 80s and, and Michael Mann and uh, that's what he uses for uh, for the title for drive and uh, so he really very much is kind of taking from Michael Mann throughout this I think of course electronic music people knew Cliff Martinez but this movie really yeah, spotlighted this guy interestingly enough though the opening of the film which I love is mostly silent and right. you get to see of course one of the things you want to do is um and and of course they do this in baby driver as well you need to set the stage to show what can this person do they're mm-hmm. supposed to be this great driver well you need to show and you get this great showcase of why ryan gosling is a great getaway driver yes Yes. And I think it's just, you get everything you need to know about his character. But the opening piece of music, which is pretty awesome, is not by Cliff Martinez. It's by a group called the Chromatics. Okay. Um, but I didn't know that. Like when watching it, I thought it all fit so well in. I thought that the entire thing was this guy. Um, but it, the, the Chromatics piece is great. Yeah, this movie really made me excited about NWR. Hashtag NWR. <laughs> so I myself couldn't wait that a few years later for Only God Forgives. Okay, so let's talk about that because I saw it, Jimmy, just to talk about it. You see, you asked <laughs> like, me to come on the show, Jimmy. I, I, I do like my it. homework. I know okay? you don't bring any listeners with you, <laughs> but you do no, do this, your this homework. There's the guy at the end of the block. He's going to listen. Okay. Yeah. Get some people on there. Yeah, Joe. Um, well, only, because, uh, only because I, I, you know, I think people that you know would enjoy you. Don't be a bashful. You should tell people, hey, I'm on this podcast because it's fun. I'm telling. I told Joe. It's good. <laughs> okay, so Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to Joe, our new Hashtag listener. Joe. Hashtag, Hashtag Joe. Joe. <laughs> Hashtag Jay. We'll just call him Jay. So, yeah. So, only God forgives. I will tell you that when... It bombed so hard at Cannes, and then it didn't get much of a release. And then I, at the time, had just moved back to Massachusetts, and I had two kids. It wasn't getting a big release, so I wasn't going to see that. And then when it finally, you know, I couldn't wait to watch it streaming. because I was like, I don't care what people say. Ah, this is only not even an hour and a half. It's like 85 minutes. I can mm-hmm. get through this. I got through like 
a half an hour and abandoned it for a really long time and actually only went back to it as I started watching Too Old to Die Young because I started to understand Mm -hmm. his pacing style Mm -hmm. and I wanted to go back to this movie. And I did while I was watching Too Old to Die Young. Um, And now, since you've recently watched it, I just kind of want to get your take on the film and then I'll tell you mine. I think it's great. Um, I, I, I really like it. Um, I feel like, you know, it's not by no means, is it a a perfect film? I think it's, um, yes, I think you're absolutely right that it it fits with his style kind of, uh, again, his whole aesthetic long takes. It's also kind of similar to Bronson in some ways where he has these, um, there's a device that he has throughout it where, um, it's set in Thailand. Uh, it's a story of, um, two brothers in Thailand. One is Ryan Gosling, who runs a a kickboxing gym. The other is a complete wastrel. And he- (laughs) Wastrel. (laughs) Yeah, and he beats to death a young Thai prostitute, a 16-year-old girl. And you just don't beat young (laughs) Thai prostitutes to death. You know, and, and that's and that's very much just what he wants to do. And and sort of I would say the character who's um oddly is the hero is this Thai police captain who A very strange hero. <laughs> yes. Well, but they there's this device, they keep cutting to him singing at you know, he's he's singing at the karaoke bar. At the karaoke bar, they keep coming back to, which is very similar to, uh, a, to uh, uh, something that he does, a device he has in Bronson. The main character is um, uh, giving a stage show, you know, throughout it and and talking. And anyway, it it has a lot of. I, I really enjoyed the film. I feel that it's. Um, I think Gosling's performance is very strong. It is again another neon noir film. This reminds me a little bit more of the Robert Mitchum movie, Yakuza. I've heard of it. Yeah. Written by Paul Schrader and his brother. And See, I knew you'd be the perfect person for this subject matter. Why? Because- it, Well, because you have, because you, you know, you tend to like this genre and you have the background of seeing movies that tie into it that I might not have. It, it very much has that kind of quality. It's trying to be sort of East meets West- and, you know, so it, um, uh, it, it really does remind me of Yakuza, which is a noir film. And in it, Robert Mitchum is a, um, an American who stayed in Japan after, you know, his, his army service. Basically, what happens is he, he worked as a gangster and he has an understanding of the Yakuza world. And in order to help somebody out, at the end of the movie, what he has to do to atone, he has to cut off his own finger. And oh. that kind of very much parallels what yes. happens with, uh, yes. you know, because the one thing that you can see that that Ryan Gosling's character has in it, he loves boxing. He loves Thai, yep. Muay Thai, uh, you know, fighting. And that's it. So it really is a kind of combination of noir, of its part realist Kung Fu film or, you know, kind of martial arts film, uh, because there, there's some really, you know, I think very good, not martial arts fighting like, uh, hero or something like that, where they're jumping through the air. It has a much more of a kind of realistic aesthetic. And you think that there's a great fight scene between Ryan Gosling and the Thai captain that's terrific. And, it um, is, yeah. and yeah, and he, and Gosling gets his ass kicked. And God, that's the thing that I love about it that you're totally not expecting. And the thing is, Gosling never lays a glove. 
Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. That, and, there was, you know, so I mean, good part. And, and that's like, and, and watching that, I was like, wow, this is great. Um, the Thai, you know, uh, police captain is, is absolutely fantastic, but who steals the movie. Absolutely. Kristen steals. Scott Thomas. Kristen Scott Thomas, who I got to, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't made her like a Marvel villain yet because she is, I, whenever she plays somebody, cause you, you tend to think of her, you associate her with the English patient, but I, you know, I really kind of liked her in, um, what the hell is that Polanski movie with something moon? Bitter Moon. Bitter Moon. Is that what it is? With, um, with, uh, Jeremy Irons. No, it's not Jeremy Irons. It's, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, which is funny because, uh, she and he were in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Okay. So she's, she plays his girlfriend in it. And, uh, you know, and Peter Coyote. That's right. Peter Coyote's in that. Peter Coyote ugly. <laughs> And uh, he is, Peter Coyote plays a great creep in that, but she has like a real, the thing I really like about her is that, you know, she, she does have an edge and it is all edges in this movie. She has the filthiest mouth. Well, there's also some very creepy relationship that she has with. That's the whole noir. Both of her boys, right? Incestuous. Yeah. She like, she's sitting down to dinner with, um, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling brings a prostitute who's like, you know, who he sees regularly. And he brings her to dinner with his mother. And, um, you know, the mother immediately sees through the situation and she's just like, um, so what do you do, honey? And she says, I'm an entertainer. And she goes, yeah. How many cocks can you entertain? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and, and like I said, this is where like the female audience is starting to peel away from. All movie. right, Jimmy. All right. Uh, so, so, you know, but, no, but, I'm talking about the movie. If you sat there right, to watch it, right, not this right, show. Right, right, Forget right, right. it. And everybody's gone now. Um, no. But what about, but what about West meets East? Michael Douglas, Black Rain, <laughs> hashtag RS, Ridley Scott. <laughs> That, but that's but that's another movie that is calling back to uh, the Yakuza. That's yeah, what well, they're that's really what trying to do. Of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so, so, so that's actually, I mean, that's actually a whole other subgenre. But here's the funny thing: is right, only God forgives us. I think what eighty five minutes. Yes, this thing feels like it's five hours. Am I right? You know, you 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 set me up for that, and I was really waiting because <laughs> I got to be honest. Um, you know, when we're talking about when we do finally get around to talking about too old to die young, um, at certain points I actually like would press just like I'd go forward because he has this aesthetic that's very similar to, or he has this device. Well, that's, that's what similar, makes so that that series is what makes you able to. To watch Only God Forgives because there are episodes in that series that are longer than Only God Forgives. Right, right. Which and, is, I think, amazing. And the thing is, I really uh, came to appreciate it, the aesthetic, I think, from watching Too Old to Die Young, as you were saying. But I just think the problem is, is that Mr. Mr. Hashtag NWR, when he writes and directs his own films, as opposed to, say, Drive, where- It was somebody else's script. It, it, right. It was based on a book by James Salas, adapted by uh, Jose Amini. And I think that's better for him, <laughs> quite honestly, because um, he doesn't, he kind of forgot the story. It's so bare bones. And at the end, it just kind of like, I feel like he's one of those guys where he got money to do this film and they started with an idea more than they did with a screenplay. Yeah. I And that's the problem. But but at the same time, this is what I would sort of say. Like Gosling had nothing to do in that movie. And 
I, he's supposed to be the lead, but like you said, he gets upstaged where I think NWR found the other character of the captain more interesting. Yeah, and but I actually found that compelling in in all sorts of ways because I was I was completely surprised by um the ending and you know the ending Gosling makes a sacrifice that's not too dissimilar to Mitchum's in the Yakuza. Right. And I felt the weight of that. There's also a moment where I, I'll spoil. Okay, this is going to contain a spoiler here. You don't. Nobody cares. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that. I just think that if somebody hears this, they'll be like, "I got to check this movie out now." You know, fine. Well, spoil away. Where where Chris, Kristen Scott Thomas is killed, and where he goes. She's what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Billy spoiler. Her character's killed, and he goes. And this is very similar to Too Old to Die Young. He reaches into her like wound which is her womb where he came from yes yes <laughs> bring out the heavy hand of nwr <laughs> well well i i think that's where you know and, and i don't know if we can talk about it it's i haven't seen apparently he's very influenced by jodorowsky mm-hmm. and you know that el topo yeah i've never seen any of jodorowsky stuff i just can't at, believe you haven't seen el topo i, I mean it took me years to see it but when uh, my wife and i finally did uh I guess I was still living in Arizona when we watched it. Oh, man. It's great. Is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you'd love it. If you're loving this, man, you go out and you get yourself some El Topo now <laughs> and maybe a side of Santa Sangria. Well, that's Santa Sangre, I think, is is also kind of I, – I think he has taken, I, I get the sense, a lot from that into uh, Too Old to Die Young. Well, so it's inter- – but it's interesting is that you what, you what you're saying is that, see, your film knowledge – gave you a new appreciation for Only God Forgives that maybe somebody who's looking for that straight kind of, uh, I call it the Joe Popcorn experience, is going to be like, what the hell did I just watch I, I, and I why actually, did I watch it? I would almost kind of disagree with I think it's the kind of movie that, quite frankly, it it was a very 70s movie in many ways. And I mean that like you would have movies that were much more disposable in the 70s that were kind of noir, kind of genre films, and yet they had a kind of artistic intent. And you could watch it and and just sort of enjoy the experience of it. And maybe, you know, because you know what's going to happen more or less, or you think you know what's going to happen. It's it's a noir film. It's going to kind of, everything's going to come to a slightly tragic end. And the only thing that the character really has to hold on to is their own integrity in a very kind of filthy and corrupt world. And, you know, it, it follows all of those. It, it, it ticks all of those boxes for, for the genre. But like you said, it's 85 minutes. And I, I just think, you know, there's there's enough in it between the police captain, uh, between Gosling. I know you say he doesn't have a lot to do there, but he doesn't have to. I, I He's one of these guys, again, who um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to you about how Warren Beatty reminds me of like a lot of quarterbacks I knew playing football. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That is that kind of like, you know, really good looking guy, slightly concussed. Because Gosling was a quarterback and remember the Titans? Well, <laughs> <laughs> He he actually can kind of he doesn't have that kind of concussed look like he looks like he's thinking same thing in drive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, that's what see. That's what I thought was so great about drive is that I like silent acting. 
I just think that there wasn't really a cat. I don't know. I just I didn't think that his character had enough. I think that NWR and a little bit of his ego thought I can get away with this movie. And <laughs> as you just pointed out, like in the 70s, you, you are right in the fact that see today you can't even like in 2013. The stakes are too high. So yeah. every movie is judged differently. You can't just have, oh, you know, it's a little genre picture to get thrown out for a week or two in the theaters. And that's okay. Well, that's not okay today. And I think when you go up and say, hey, I'm going to get my movie into can and it's going to be a big masterpiece like Drive. I, I agree. You run into problems. and but I, but I did have, like, you pointed out some great parts. And I, uh, for the sum, I don't think, but the parts I like. Yeah, I you see, it's very funny. I my whole experience with this, I had no idea this movie even existed. Like that's how really? that's how oh, 100%. I didn't do it. I, so so you came in so cold to it yeah. that you were probably excited. Now, did you watch it after you watched Too Old to Die Young? Yes, Jimmy, like I said, because you, 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 just... you pulled me down into this hole with Too Old <laughs> to Die Young. And, and then I, I had to kind of look around and see what else was there. And, well, did and, you see? Okay, so after Only God Forgives, I feel he makes a big comeback in 2016 with The Neon Demon. Yeah, I saw it, and it's abs- that's where I think it's like very Ken Russell. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, first of all, this thing is shot by a woman named Natasha Breyer, and she's also uh, she shot Honey Boy, which is also on Amazon, uh, Gringo, Gloria Bell, uh, a bunch of videos. Carries this neon look to the extreme. This is where Nicholas <laughs> Whining Rifen's like, I love neon, and I'm just going to give it to you. <laughs> Uh, talk about, you know, your L.A. noir, your neo-noir, your neon noir. Mm-hmm. It gives the seediest side of kind of Los Angeles and the what, what I think, what I think hashtag uh, NWR thinks of Hollywood. Right. Right. And trying to make it big and celebrity and the idea of vampires um, just feasting upon a neophyte. Right. And it. You know, reminded me a little bit of you and Teal spoke um, a number of months back about uh, Day of the Locust. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. because I had watched it on uh, Criterion. I mean, so, you know, it features Elle Fanning uh, and a really interesting performance. Also, the movie doesn't go where I expected it to go, which I thought was fascinating. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I, I definitely went into it different goes, directions. It goes somewhere. Uh, Jenna Malone, interesting yes. character actress. I, I like a lot. She's an inherent vice. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she grew up as a child actress and was in films like Donnie Darko, um, For the Love of the Game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to make that transition into adult um, actor. And she's done it. But she she always kind of makes these very interesting choices. And But she's just somebody that I always notice when she's in a film. And she will show up in his next effort, uh, Too Old to Die Young. Right. Um, another actress, uh, Bella Heathcote or Heathcote. Christina Hendricks shows up again. And then an, also yes. in a very weird, weird, creepy performance, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, yes. I was going to say, <laughs> I, was, I was expecting I, – I was expecting more. And it's a very interesting thing. I think that throws you off because you're expecting more from Keanu because – Because he's such a big star, right? Yes. And instead, yeah. he's just, just a little side player, which, you know, again, you don't know how, how 
actors or actresses come by a film, but it just felt like Keanu wanted to be in a movie that was made by NWR. Yeah, no, it's it's a little kind of greatest story ever told. It's like, you know, <laughs> you know like, all of a sudden, yeah, John Wayne is the centurion, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Again, music by Cliff Martinez. And this is interesting is that while Nicholas Winding Riven had a hand in the screenplay, it was also written by uh, someone named Mary Laws and another person named Polly Stenham. And I again think the incorporation of other writers. Are those both women? They're both women. And I think that's important in a film like this where he doesn't have the, I mean, you talk about not having the female perspective. Uh, Hashtag NWR does not. (laughs) And so, you know, I think it helps to have women writers and also a women cinematographer. Right. I I think so. Absolutely. And and the reason I mention that is because Jodorowsky, it, it relates to Too Old to Die Young, that before he, I mean, we'll, we'll maybe I'm, I'm jumping forward. Maybe we're going to get there in like five right, minutes, we'll get there, buddy. We'll get there, Just but basically, simmer down now. you best be simmering. Too old to die young was co-written with a woman, and apparently he says that Jodorowsky did a tarot reading and told him you should have a woman co-write this with you. Ah, uh-huh, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, because you know when you watch Too Old to Die Young, I I, I think immediately female centric. <laughs> oh my god, that movie! Well, actually, a part of it. We're going to get into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoy the Neon Demon and. And first of all, composition-wise, this guy's got an eye for putting yes. putting images in a frame uh, that I just think is really great. And so even when you don't like necessarily a film, I think that you look for what do you do like. And so some of the trademarks that you get with an NWR experience mm-hmm. is an aesthetic. So what, what are the things that stand out to you from Neon Demon? Well, I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm just going to be honest. Um, and I just remember, I just remember how, like, you know, I'm always complaining when you shoot a film and whatever aspect ratio you shoot it in, it should feel like a purpose and not like, oh, I just wanted to shoot it widescreen, you know? Right. Like, you should know why you're doing it and you should fill the images appropriately. Right. And the compositions in that film uh, are great. Like, even the, the sort of the place that they're staying at in the end, it becomes yes. a character. Yes. And you feel that. Uh, so I just, it's one of those things where long after all the plot points kind of fade, fade away, get fuzzy, you just remember that movie sticks in you because it just, it, it makes an impression image wise. Mm-hmm. And of course, now he carries this over three years later. Amazon Prime had some keys they threw to him and said, here, you're a up-and-coming filmmaker, right? You're a genius, right? Here's some money. Go do what you want to do, right? And then then he does that, unfettered, comes back, and Amazon Prime's are like going, what is this? <laughs> we have to put this on? So suddenly this movie that uh, or this TV experience that they were looking forward to from an auteur <laughs> – they now are burying in their site. They don't put it up for Emmys. They 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 just don't want people to know about it. They they promoted the heck out of it in Europe because they thought, well, maybe people in Europe will like yeah. it. But I remember hearing that he was doing something for Amazon, and I was like, oh, that's going to be great, some kind of cop show or something. And then I'm like completely forgot about it. 
because it came out and then Amazon didn't even promote it. It didn't even show up like as one of their new things when you were searching. And a friend, a listener of the show, this guy Al, who was on our show once, he said, hey, are you watching uh, this show, Too Old to Die Young? It's pretty, the look of it's pretty amazing. It's fantastic. I'm like, I'm going to have to check this out. So I started watching with my wife the first episode and like it moved so slow that I, and it was so long, like, you know, normally it's like a 15-minute first episode. This thing is like an hour and a half movie. Right. And my wife kind of lost interest. And then I actually put it away in the shelf for like two months until I decided, hey, you know what? I should get back and watch that kind of thing for maybe watching the show. And that's when I got sucked into Too Old to Die Young. It's it's great. I, I think so it's you definitely like, so worth, you like I it. think it's definitely worth a watch. The thing I, I just gotta say about he has these long panning shots around a room to music that's that are absolutely beautiful. And to me, they remind me of Kubrick's long, slow zoom outs in Barry Lyndon. Yes. Do you know what I mean? In terms of pacing and just trying to kind of establish um a, a sense of place. And um, so he, he that's the thing that I think, you know, it, that the pacing is very slow and particularly in the first episode, the acting is very mannered. Well, OK, so the first the so first thing for people to know is it's a 10 episode series. But unlike most 10 episode series where you're basically looking at like 50 minutes to an hour per episode, they are all over the place. Some there was like one that's like almost two hours. And then the last episode is only like 20 minutes for some strange reason. Well, it's, 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 four, it's like four, it's like 38 or something like that, I think. I don't know what it is. It, 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 so it's all over the place from that standpoint. And I also think that, you know, he's a film director and he kind of looked at it as one big long movie, kind of like David Lynch did with uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Right. Um, but for someone like, you know, Amazon, they're excited to get these auteurs to do something and do something unusual. However, they don't always get the results they want. And I think that they they think of TV as like, well, the whole showrunner model. Yes. And I think that in this case, if you wanted a little bit more of a conventional show, it might have been helpful had that been the case where there was he was the showrunner and he'd also direct some of the episodes, but that they really sat down and figured what this thing would be because it is a little uneven. And the way yes. that some of these plots wrap up, it's a little odd. And you follow characters on journeys that by the end of it and the end of their journey, you're kind of like, well, what was the point? Um, that being said... Do you mean what was the point of the character's experience or you're talking about just the overall narrative? Well, like the point of the, the point? character's experience if, if, if for when, when, you, when you get to the resolution and then it's that whole thing that you were talking about with Only God Forgives where you focus on characters for so long, but then when they check out or they go, it, it, like it, it's all over the place. You don't really feel like who's the lead of this story. And it's also another challenge is to find somebody in this whole 10 episodes well, that you can sympathize you can, with, right? That's the thing that's that's the thing that's very similar to that because who's the hero? Because Miles Teller, who I guess you're supposed to be thinking as a hero, that that guy, I mean, he's he, he's evil. He's and, a, what, you mean a child molesting, um, murdering He's really <laughs> creepy. But yet he's, you know, and he's always spitting, right? That's this little uh, thing his he's tick. always doing. Yeah, his, his, like tick. his tick. <laughs> he's also this weird, almost... As if he, his character is, is experiencing uh, PSD. Uh, he is seems to be really traumatized, and he's just yes. kind of 
uh, he's taking in what's happening in a very passive way. Right. And then, of course, like you said about the shoes. So what, what I really liked about what he experiments with here, and I'm talking about hashtag NWR here, yes. is this filmmaking style. These episodes are very long, but the takes are long. So you wonder, yes. well, how does a guy shoot such a, like, I mean, it's 10 episodes, but it's got to be like a 14 or 15 hour thing. How do you shoot that much on a budget and time? Well, it's these incredibly long takes yes. where sometimes the camera, when you talk about slow pan, sometimes it moves so slowly you don't even notice it moving. Right, right. Now, there's something very interesting that I found hypnotic about it. Okay, what? Well. well, because you have to watch actors do something different. They're like they're almost forced into a situation and you have to like see, are they going to do anything? What's going to happen? Yes, and it creates it creates attention. And the thing is, this is this is something that I think has kind of changed. And I, I haven't really fully thought this through, but I mean, think about how when we were graduating from uh, film, or when we were in film school, the way that movies and in the night and how films really it was about cutting, constant movement, movement, cutting, moving. And now I think with a lot of sort of long form television, there has developed this aesthetic of long takes where you're kind of taking time to inhabit the character's personal space. And you're sort of spending a lot of time sort of just with the character and that kind of unease and awkwardness where you're not cutting that, that almost kind of, I, I wouldn't say Antonioni, but you know, that, that sort of just very, very long takes. Well, yes, it was here. though Antonioni. I mean, like when you talk about those pans, it's like, it's like that one super epic uh, pan in the, the passenger. passenger. Yeah. Yeah. I think the ultimate endurance test for an audience is, can you get through episode two? That's like that's like his test for an audience. He's going, if you get through this episode uh, two in Mexico where there's hardly any dialogue, it's over an hour, and the panelists, if you can get through this, okay, then you've passed the test and you can get to the other stuff that I'm going to offer you. However, there's even interest. I was still, I found that episode kind of fascinating because I was like, wow, you know, you don't really get a series that's going to like have the audacity to introduce characters and plot this way. It feels at first almost as though it com it is completely almost like an anthology show because it starts out with like one storyline with the sheriff's deputies in L.A. And then it picks up with the character in Mexico who actually, you know, was in the first episode. Oh, right. It, because of the pacing and you're kind of checking in and out, it's a little hard to, to focus and realize those things. Right. But the thing is, that's where when the pieces come together, and this is what I really appreciate about it, is that it takes its time putting together all of these pieces and these characters and slowly building. And it really, it, it takes its time. And I, I think it, I, I thought the first episode was really compelling enough to start watching. And the, the second episode, I, I was pulled in as well by, you know, seeing the dynamics of what's going on in this cartel. And well, you have this guy, so you don't really understand his story, but um, Jesus, his mom, was basically the head of the cartel. The in Gus, the Gus Fring, I guess, if you will. Yeah, of she the, was in the U.S., but then when she dies, like he's kind of sent off to Mexico to learn the ropes. Right. What really hooked me about that episode, well, part of it was 
the performance by Augusto Aguilera as, as Jesus because his yeah. eyes, right? You know, it's, again, yes. it's it's like he's he's that Gosling. He's looking, he's observing, he's hardly saying anything. Yeah. Which, if you watched enough of these uh, shows about the cartel, the person who says the least when it's you're with well, no, it's when you're dealing with one of those like hothead guys. Like you, you've seen Breaking Bad, right? Yeah, of course. Right. Okay. So we were watching it with our with my oldest son, and so I'm kind of right back in that world right now, right. and. Tuco, right? He's yes. the crazy meth hopped up, like very powder keg kind of guy. And you don't know what's going to happen uh, from moment to moment. And there's a guy like that who's going to be head of the cartel yes. as soon as the old man dies, right? His cousin. He knows that the one guy that you just keep silent is that guy. Because if you say the wrong thing, you're done. Right. But here's where I was getting very fascinated. It's this performance. Um, she's been in some stuff, but this really for me is a breakthrough performance for an actress named Christina Rodlo. Yes. And she plays Yaritza. Yaritza. And she becomes the angel of death. And I just love her character through the entire show. Yes. Every time she's on, no matter what she's doing, I was glued to the performance because there are things that happen in that. She 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 doesn't say very much and no. she portrays a front for who she has to. But then she's got some like I mean there's just I don't want to spoil it, but there's like you know there's, there's some, some scenes. dark dark stuff. There's going some on dark there. stuff. And the thing is um the scene where she shows up at the high school party <laughs> okay, so there's th there's three scenes that I cannot forget that she's in. One, the high school party, which is where there's a tie-in with Nell Tiger Free, who plays Janie, who's uh, Miles Teller's uh, underage girlfriend, girlfriend yeah. and the daughter of Billy Baldwin, who is amazing. Billy. <laughs> That, uh, so that's what made me think of you. I'm like, I'm like, he's got to watch the show because he has to see Billy Baldwin uh, and that tiger, <laughs> that tiger doll. And this is where you you said that Nicholas Winding Raven was like a cross between Michael Mann and, and Ken, Russell. Ken Russell. I think this series is Michael Mann crossed with David Lynch. Yeah, 100%. Um, and there's a whole bunch of scenes. But okay, so get back in to, to Christina uh, Rodlow. So that scene where she's at the high school party, amazing. Mm -hmm. The scene with the horse whip, yes. insane. Yeah, that's that's actually very Ken Russell to me. But go ahead. And then, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The crimes of passion was that you it? You got it exactly. I know. I, I got a film vocabulary. I know. Even if people are like scratching their heads listening to this, going, "What are they talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about?" Look uh, it up. Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. <laughs> Anyways, the third thing, and I just it's it's just everything about it was when she is. The angel of death, she goes to the hotel. There's the guys hanging outside. She walks up, she saunters up to them, and she just goes, Hi, guys. And then she just blows them away. It is, to, it was so phenomenal. But you see, to me, this is part of what makes the movie or the series so interesting in a way, because ultimately it's, it's really a meditation upon evil. In many ways, it's about um, the one thing that I think kind of runs through a lot of um, hashtag NWR's movies is the he, he seems to think that um, man is really kind of just barely above being an animal, that there's a kind of animal nature that we all have kind of deep down that's ferocious that we sort of hide. Where you see this kind of throughout the series is the way that everybody, every character has some moral taint 
to them. Even the kind of, um, I, I would say the character who's supposed to be really the most sympathetic is um, the Jenna Malone character. Is she supposed to be sympathetic? Because she is sort of the American version of the Angel of Death. Well, that's exactly the point. And yet at the same time, she's sending a hitman to go and kill people. But it's the idea that these are people who deserve it. They're, they're child molesters. They're murderers. They're that the, the guy that works for this like broken down man played by John Hawks. Mm-hmm. Like the scenes with him, I love. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really terrific. But the thing is, that's where the film ends up going. The trajectory is that he makes this parallel between the Christina Rodlow character and the Jenna Malone character. That's really kind of where it ends up going. Because you're sort of left um saying well where where where's this headed and that's ultimately the point there the, these kind of mirror images of one another one is the american version one is the mexican version because Christi- christina rodlow you know even though she is a villainess in this movie she keeps going she keeps murdering men who are abusing prostitutes and freeing them well okay so here's the interesting thing right when we talk about superheroes right, right her day job is being a villainous uh, you know, cartel queen, cartel queen, <laughs> and then her superhero job is saving women in peril, <laughs> and she needs to keep that disguise. I mean, that, that's that's interesting to me. Okay, yeah, Jimmy, I, I actually put a whole other spin on that. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and then Jenna Malone has got like therapist. some supernatural. Yeah, she's a therapist by day, but then she's also like a tarot card reading well, psychic. That, yeah, and that's and that's the whole thing. There's this kind of mystical quality to it that you know. I mean, he's sort of half winkingly believes in you know throughout the show. well this is why some of the david lynch stuff now okay so there comes a point where again I, I i i really enjoyed myself watching this even though it's uneven and i had some problems with the endings of some of the characters etc and, and, and like with any of these series honestly at a certain point things go a little slack and you're just like do i really have the the energy to make it to the summit <laughs> and right, and I think that it, it is, dude, there's some pinnacles and then it comes down. However, and then again, in, sprinkled throughout are all of these outrageous moments and things to entertain. Yes. And, you know, there's a guy, an actor named Hart Bachner, who <laughs> played, he played Ellis, the, the creep in Die Hard. He's, he's, the, he's the, the waspy guy in Breaking Away. Yeah, Rod. <laughs> and uh, he was also in this movie that I, he played this awful cop that uh, was in this movie, uh, The Wildlife, from the early 80s. Yes, And yes, he was having an yes, affair with- With uh, Leah Thompson. Yeah, he was having an affair with <laughs> Leah Thompson, and she's stupid enough to think that-, that He really cares about her. And she goes to the house. <laughs> oh, so brutal. Um, so anyways, years later, he comes in, he plays uh, the lieutenant, Miles Teller's lieutenant, he and he's is, insane. He is insane. And those scenes, like, honestly- Were they, were they, um, weren't they having, like, the, the pageant for Jesus? They, they, they do the passion where he's like because Miles Teller is leaving the force and he's like why why are you like uh, forsaking me you know and he makes it and he makes it about him being crucified the fact that like Miles is leaving and like all of his like people around him and he's like always singing songs about Jesus and stuff and it is uh, it's absolutely hilarious yeah and then I mean and, and there's this overt it's not even trying to be like you know hidden the idea of equating uh, the policemen to fascists yes I mean, they, they start chanting fascism and um, you know when they crucify Bachner with some um, 
the uh, American flag, you know, he says, fake news, runs out. Yeah. So <laughs> so you, you have all this. You have the William Baldwin, which is just so William insane. William Baldwin is so funny. He's almost unrecognizable <laughs> from like, you know, he was this sort of young matinee idol look of a guy. And now, I mean- he was clearly playing. You marry John Phillips' daughter, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's playing this character who's obviously was some studio mogul, totally coked out. His nose is all shot from that, and I, he's constantly constant going. <laughs> and it's it's really a creepy, insane performance. But within every series, there's one. This is like, did you ever? You didn't see David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, right? I did not know. I'm I, hands down. And one day you, 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 you want to watch that series and come back and talk to me about it. That is one of the greatest things I've ever watched. I'm not kidding. Right. In the last 20 years, hands down, better than any movie, TV show, Twin Peaks to Return <laughs> is the greatest thing ever. It don't, you don't even have to see the other episode. Like, that, that thing is so incredible. However, even within an incredible series like that, you have an episode. You have one episode that is just beyond what you think is possible. And there's an episode in Twin Peaks to Return that is one of the single greatest episodes of anything I've ever seen. Now, within this 10-episode series, episode five, halfway through, mm -hmm. it's called The Fool. So each episode is sort of uh, titled a after a tarot card. card. Yeah. Basically, Miles Teller has a mission to go and kill these awful these, the, pornographers. See, but this, and this is part of the thing where, again, I, I, I think that a lot of series do this. I think Breaking Bad does this. Ozark does this, tries to do this, where they're trying to push, you know, again, the sense of who's the main character and how far can you push character identification and tell her we see do a whole bunch of terrible things. And yet at the same time, he decides he wants to start killing bad guys and that's going to somehow redeem him. And it's the sense that we're yes. supposed to care for him because he's killing characters in the same way that like in Ozark. Laura Linney and uh, Jason Bateman are the nicest money launderers like you could ever meet. Gee golly. <laughs> okay. I, by the way, I'm also watching Ozark. Uh, I'm only like halfway through the very first season. And it, it's a little, it's like baking bad light to me. But that's right? the thing is they're trying so hard to be the Brady Bunch while like, you know, doing. <laughs> you know what? If it wasn't for Bateman, the show might not even be that good. But I, I love Bateman. But I always wait for Bateman to do his awesome Bateman things. <laughs> In it, but anyways, but so, but, but that's but that's the thing. So I want to talk about this episode. Five. All right, all right. So, so she's going down to go kill very very bad guys. This episode, how it even starts? It's like a sort of a, a slow oh. burn. You got one of the creepiest characters. Uh, this character actor that I love oh, yeah. is uh, James Urbaniak. He plays the head of this little <laughs> porno outfit, and they. I don't know if it, see, you're not really even sure. Are they, are they snuff films or are they close to snuff films? But they have seduced this young runaway guy or whatever. I don't know whether he's trying to act out of a fantasy or he doesn't know what he's trying to get into. He, he's over his head. Pretty quickly, you realize it's over his head. And then there's just this creepy line at the end of it where the guy has him all groomed and ready. And he basically just looks off camera and says, okay, boys, rape him. And, yes. and you're just like, what? It's horrifying horrifying i can't tell you that state like i was just like huh? i was on edge in that scene and then mm -hmm. the rest of this and miles teller going down there and you feel like you feel like does miles teller know how dangerous these people are do they know how dangerous miles is and you want to talk about the awkwardness of long takes 
Oh, it's well, I think that's what another thing is so great. He has set the stage through episodes so that when you get to these moments where it might change a little bit, right. it really will throw you for a loop. Yep. And then then it, it, it features one of the most awesome car chases <laughs> I've ever seen. It's so outrageous. And I loved it. And I loved everything afterwards. And it's just this episode within itself, I feel like is enough to recommend watching yes. the show. Yeah, um, 100%. 100%. It's, and it's really, really well done. So, I mean, and also, by the way, so there were two cinematographers on this series. Uh, and one shot seven episodes and the other shot the last few episodes plus parts of two of them mm -hmm. and the the one who shot five episodes he shot parts of two parts of five and then he shot the last three is diego garcia right. but the person who was kind of the overarching cinematographer and he shot seven of the episodes or uh, well of course uh, except for two and five he shot part of them is darius kanji yes and it, this this thing is probably the best looking series i've ever seen put on tv yeah, Darius Kanji's amazing. You, you know, I always knock on digital, but if you want to shoot digital, make it look like this. Mm -hmm. This movie looked, I mean, I call it a movie because it felt like a movie, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's so fantastic looking. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely, uh, you, this is one of the things you said to me. You said this was one of the best things you've seen shot on television. Oh, it's so great. So, I mean, there's just so many things I feel to recommend to watch, especially, tell me, you know. So tell me what you, then your, your knocks really of the whole thing overall. Cause I, I think it's, I look, I think it's a very actually timely movie. I think that it, um, it, it does say something very profound about um, good and evil and the nature of civilization and American culture. I think there's a line that Jesus says when he's down in Mexico and somebody says, what do you like about Mexico? And he says, it's the future. The thing, and I don't want to want to give away too many spoilers here. Right. I will just say that as you go through, by the end of it, y you lose a lot of characters, <laughs> let's yes. just say. Yes. And I don't necessarily like how we lose some of those characters. Okay. And I feel that the timing of losing some of those characters is a little uneven because you end up losing a major character yes. before the point of time that I think you should lose that character. Does that make sense? I, it does. But again, it's one of these things that threw me off slightly. Well, yeah, it threw me off. Because right, then but, you're kind of saying like, why am I still tuning in? Well, like okay, but that's right. Up. That's where it is. And, like, and, and then it goes kind of to a, a kind of mystical place. And you see, this is the thing is that like he – sometimes goes a little too Lynchian mystical. And I well, think that's, that's- Yeah, but the end of it, I felt like I was watching a Lynch movie. Right. Um, and I kind of liked that a bit. But. I, well, there's this thing then that happens with her eyes and you're like, what the- Because there, there are certain moments- where it just all of a sudden takes these mystical leaps. Like, well, for example- like I, said, I felt like he was just all over the place. Didn't really know at that point. Like, But he also was like, well, maybe they're going to love it so much that they're going to give me a season two. But, but I, okay. And you see, this is the thing that I- Somebody- I read one time, somebody said at the end of every series, you know, every season of a series, you have to end it as though the season could end. Like, the, or the show could end. Like, I that's agree. it. They're yeah. pulling the plug. And, you know, because you never know, actually, if you're going to get renewed- until they've seen the entire series, the, the entire season. And with this, you know, I have no idea how they could have gone for season two. He he needed a team of writers to work on this a little bit. But then again, you know, I, I know he didn't really want that, but I felt like the end, and I'm talking end, the last few episodes, the way it all kind of wrapped up was a little messy. It, it was, it was, I, I, that's it. But I'm just saying that there could have been some 
other ways that they could have resolved some of these things that could have also been interesting. I guess the fate of the character we're talking about, I think it would have been more interesting if that character's fate was handled more on the Jenna Malone side of the fence. Yeah. Like maybe the character gets out of one scrap, but then ends up becoming the next person because of, you know. Right. But but there's there really is like no sense of how it's going to continue. And and that's where, though, I, I do think it actually ends up very strongly where you have – in their well, own I thought that way. last wrap-up episode was good. I think, see, that's exactly the, the really the parallel between the Jenna Malone character and the Christina Rodlow character, I think, is, is that he does a fine job of tying it together. I they think. could have their own cop series. <laughs> 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 Jenna, Christina, the angels of death. <laughs> this way, fall on you, NBC. Do you, know, do you know who very- uh, just On not, Peacock. Do you know who um, Jenna Malone's character reminded me of is- um, Mary Beth Hurt with her, she, like, do you know what I mean? Like, do you remember like in, in Light Sleeper? No, in Light Sleeper. In Light Sleeper. Oh, you're, yeah, you're a big, that's right. I keep forgetting you're straight. Oh, but you know what? Because we're going to have to be wrapping this up. I think we've done a lot of Rafin, which yeah. is great because, you know, sometimes we say we're going to deep dive on a director and then it's like they get 20 minutes because I've gone off on tangents. Well, I feel like we but, actually did By the way, Paul Schrader sat in front of us in a movie once. That is true. Um, you, you, I can't, I didn't remember the movie, but I just remember the trailer. The trailer for, for like the Bob Hoskins. No, it was the trailer for the the movie there with Whoopi Goldberg, their sister act, and he was laughing hysterically with his pals, thinking it was the funniest movie. Yes, and we were like, "That's Paul Schrader. He's That's laughing. Paul Schrader. That's Paul He's Schrader. laughing at the trailer for uh, sister act. What?" <laughs> and then the movie we saw was garbage, right? I'm trying to think. Did we see the? You remembered the movie, it. The movie was, was garbage. It was, and I forget. It was William Peterson and Bob Hoskins, I think. And like, wow, um, I can't believe it's, seen there, that. there's a funeral, and I just like it's yeah, and it's, oh it's one God. of these like terrible movies that just reminds me of you know that you used to pay to see garbage. Well, because in New York, <laughs> right. It was always the most expensive around. There was right. no matinee prices. Right. Well, except on Fifth Avenue and Eighth on Fiftieth Street and Eighth Avenue. Yeah. You had to pay whatever seven fifty at the time, and now it's like twenty bucks or something to go to the yeah. movies in New York. But you had to pay that whether it was the morning, whether it was the night. Uh, the sort of the freedom of that was you'd go see it anytime, and you got addicted to going to the movies. And so when there wasn't really anything playing, you still wanted to go see something. Yeah, It's like, Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go see bird in a wire. Yeah. It's like, I don't feel like doing any homework. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go see bird in a wire. Um, I mean, Teal and I would do that once we were so desperate to see anything that the two of us ran down to the a street theater from wherever we were. Cause whatever we wanted to see wasn't playing. And we went and saw that awful movie that had, Oh, Kiefer Sutherland in it. And he was like an agent that was bringing in um, Dennis Hopper, who was like the 60s <gasps> oh, guy. Oh, oh, something flashback. Yeah. And he's like, he's <laughs> I, like saw uh, I saw that. On, I saw that in um, on the Upper East Side, like the, the Lowe's East. Or he's like, he's like, once we get out of the 80s, the 90s are going to make the 60s look like the 50s. Yeah, it's so uh, terrible. Uh, but it was, I mean, there was like crap like that that we would go see just because we needed to see something. Yeah, but now you wouldn't even like sit through it. No way. And now it's like, you know, I'll just wait for home video if I have to see that. Yeah, you have to be very discerning, which is which again, I think is where Only God Forgives fell into this trap where if you went and paid big money, 
for an 85-minute movie that didn't have a strong plot, you'd be angry. Yes. You know? But but again, but part of the thing also is, you know, going out to the movies with your friends. It's a whole social experience. And then, you know, I mean, you, you talked about it before on the episode when um, the young lady who threw her hair at you. Oh, we're going to go back. back <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it's... it's she it's didn't touch, by the way. No, she... <laughs> <laughs> no. um, well, here's a question. Okay, so I'm going to... I know you were making a point, but I, I will tell you this. This is how things have changed. I have a 12-year-old son. Yeah. And he has never once been to the movie theaters with his friends yeah. and like they and without parents and just going with friends. Never. And by the time I was 12, I used to go every weekend to the movies with my friends. That's, it's funny. My, my daughters have, I have to say my, my kids have, my older kids have, you know, right. um, my, my oldest is 20. They have been to the movies with friends. Like they will go and meet, particularly when there's like a big opening, like Marvel type stuff or Star Wars. They, they'll definitely go and with their friends and things like that or other things or they, they will go and do it. I think when they're a little bit older, they're able to do it. Like they'll take the subway somewhere and go see a movie with friends and stuff. But, um, but no, the younger kids and stuff, I think, I think part of it, you know, is, uh, well, from, from my kids, it's kind of tougher, I think, you know, for them to just in the city, like, you know, the younger kids to go off to the movies. Yeah, and I, I recognize that home video changed everything. I mean, my kids, could, if they want to watch a movie in a few months, it's it's at home yep. and they can watch it. And, you know, my son, he's online with video games with his friends. That's what they do to That's, get together. That, they, that too. But the other thing also is the fact that like, it's sometimes actually even very hard to get them to watch a movie and not then be sneaking off onto their phone. <laughs> well, I can see in yours because I've already been to a movie with you and saw what you do. Uh, well, phone. that's, but that's, uh, you know, but, but that's, that's not, you know, my kids would never be allowed to do that if they go. My, my, I've actually trained my oldest because I take them to the movies a lot. Of course, not this year. <laughs> okay. Well, look, we, look, I, I want to keep this on, you know, so well, we're, we're going to wrap up. So wrapping up, what else do you want to say? Uh, listen, I um, as I said, I I'm actually a very big fan of his uh, stuff. I um, uh, I can't say that I'm a hashtag NWR completionist, but uh, I I feel compelled to be one. I actually even want to check out, as I said, um, Jodorowsky's movies because he dedicates all of his work to Jodorowsky. I, I definitely think you should. And I, I do, I know now that we've had this conversation, you know, I'm kind of keeping his earlier stuff on my radar screen. And I do want to see Valhalla Rising, ah, Bronson. I don't know. That seems like an awful lot of Tom Hardy for me to what's take. Your, yeah, what's your Tom Hardy beef? Like, what's, what's, oh, what's I'm not. Beef? I'm just saying that, you know, he's a little bit of a hammy, overacting guy. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he throws him. I like, for instance, I could watch. It's available for free. Uh, well, free. The services I have to watch that uh, Capone thing that he's in i don't know what is it you don't you don't know come on you no know. i don't you know I don't. so okay so the guy uh the director he was kind of lauded for a little bit this guy josh trank and then he tanked his career he was supposed to do one of those star wars movies and then he made that fantastic four remake with miles teller by the way Oof. and he was such an ass that they basically kicked him out of the set so his sort of comeback is he's made this gonzo version of Capone, right. where you, you're basically focused on Capone in his older life when he's all senile from uh, syphilis. He's all clapped out, yeah. And Tom Hardy plays him under all sorts of makeup, and basically it's supposed to be full tilt insane, where it's like a over-the-top dialed to a thousand performance. 
Okay. I thought for sure you'd want to see this. I, I'm going to go look into it right it now. It seems because, like it's so I up thought, your I thought Hardy was great as the craze. No, 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 no. Now we're going to end on a negative note. <laughs> that movie was a piece of crap. It was so bad. And I actually don't think it was. There was like, oh, I get a chance to play twins. So I'm going to do two different. Ver- no, it was so poorly made. Uh, you know, I already saw the craze. Thank you. Yeah, by, I like uh, Peter I, Medak on the uh, early 90s. That's right. And that was a really good movie. And it was played by uh, the brothers from Spandau Ballet. Brothers from Spandau Ballet. And that was right. great because he got the brothers in such like Hardy getting to do like a star turn where he gets to play twins. Obnoxious. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. So what other movies did you think that he was super great in? I'm not saying he's bad. You know what I liked him? I liked him when he was when he was like a bit character. I liked him in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Ta whatever. Yeah, he's good in that. I, th- I thought he was- um, I liked him in Inception. He's good in Inception. I mean, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm trying and to And then think- your punishment must be more severe, Batman. <laughs> I'm paid. Oh, I'm going to break your back. <laughs> Did you and your boys do that voice a lot? Uh, yeah. No, I did, but I got the punishment must be more severe. <laughs> I'm sure there's Sean Connery underneath the mask. The quest for the grail is a race against evil. Everybody knows where the grail is, Mr. Jones. But are you prepared to go all the way? You gotta get... You wanna get Hitler? I'll tell you how you get Hitler. I'll tell you how you get Hitler. He brings an ark. You bring a grill. <laughs> that's the Indiana Jones way. And that's how you get Hitler. Oh. Uh, I missed uh, your impersonations. <laughs> well, I better do one per show, right? Is it, got any others that you want to do? No, I that's did, good. Yeah, I, that's I, good. I, I gave no, you my Tom Hardy. That was a good mashup, your Tom Hardy. It, it's funny because then he does another just Tom Hardy again when he's in um, Dunkirk, right? Here he is like, Yeah. That, that's basically him in Dunkirk. Uh, but I loved his character in Dunkirk, by the way. Um, yeah. I uh, I didn't see all of Dunkirk, believe what? it or not. Yeah, what? Exactly. You, you didn't see all of Dunkirk? You yeah, you know, my, my, da- my dad saw it and he said, um, it's totally, it's not uh, authentic that they, they the waves weren't that big when they were coming across. What? The- oh, <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm like, what? Uh, Dunkirk is a movie that it's hard to watch on TV. It's a big screen experience. Yeah, um, no, you, so, you made yeah. a very big point when you were yeah, with Teal. Yeah, you were talking about how you saw it. I can't IMAX. believe you didn't see that. I thought you liked the. the I the do, war. I do. But, you I, know, I but you like the war pictures, Jimmy. Look, what can I tell you? It's it's it's. Um, I I watched uh, all of. Uh, Hashtag NWR stuff uh, for I'm, I'm so very I'm so I'm very honored and impressed. Do a show I'm, on Dunkirk and I'll. Uh, no, Jimmy, you give me you give me a job. I'm on it. All right, okay? well you know there you go. Look at so I recognize you're about to enter busy school season coming up, um, and so you know I don't know if this is I'm not going to say this is the last time you're going to be on the show, but you know you're going to have to reach out to me and say hey I'm available because I'm not going to bother I'm, you. I'm going to be I'm going to be sitting there, Jimmy. You just you give me a call. Well, I you mean, give me a call. I'm always, I look, I, you put me on a, you, you pick out a mission. You say, Hey, you know what'd be fun to do? You say that, right? And let's do it. And then we'll, we'll, we'll conjure up an episode. Well, I, I still, like I said, I have, uh, a story I want you to tell. Uh, well, right. If, if you want, if you want to keep taping right. and do a quick episode no, right now. No, 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 no,
I've changed my mind. <laughs> I'm going to let her die. I just wanted you to know that before I killed you. Goodbye, Callahan. <laughs> Uh, I hope you enjoyed our look at the hashtag NWR. Um, and maybe, you know, you're intrigued now to check out on Amazon Prime, Too Old to Die Young. I think it's a really interesting show. It's in hidden there show. somewhere. It is. You have to do actually a search because you're not going to just pop up. It's not going to be like, oh, you liked uh, Only God Forgives. Yeah. Please check out Too Old to Die Young. <laughs> That's All right, right you, Bill. All right. Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah. Right, I'll, I'll just be waiting for your call. I'm waiting for my call. Okay, I'm you on call the taxi me. squad. Oh, you you call just call me. me. I'm ready to go. All right. And uh, hey, thanks to our listener, Joe, uh, <laughs> from around the block. Uh, thank you for bringing in the listenership there, Billy. Okay. Um, all right, everybody. Hey, uh, StuffWeSeen.com. Feedback at StuffWeSeen.com. StuffWeSeenPodcast is our Instagram handle. And, uh, you know, write us, send us a note. And also, if you'd like to be on the show... Who knows, Teal, well, and, and if you want to come on the show and say only if Teal's on the show, well, then let me know and I'll beg him to uh, make an appearance. But uh, other other than that, hey, Teal, nah, he's not listening to the show, so I'm not going to say goodbye to him. Maybe he is. I don't know. Um, you know, don't worry. He's, he's around. He's kicking around somewhere. All right. Bye, Billy. Bye, Jimmy. Bye.